think that that is probably at this point in time is what is worrying me the most about our future together is what if anything our family could look like yeah. and if it's possible to build one together. You're listening to C for C Conversations. Describe your favorite meal that your mom makes for you. This is terrible, but I, I, she, she's the only one that really makes craft dinner exactly how I want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before I had Keystone, you know, I was like a little troubled kid, I guess. <laughs> and then when I had him, everything just changed. You just smartened up a little bit. Hey everyone, I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud and welcome to C4C Conversations. We spent a few months traveling across Canada to capture conversations, your conversations about whatever was on your minds, and now we're sharing them with you. This may sound naive, this will sound naive, but I never thought about what it's like to be my parents until I myself became a parent. My daughter was born earlier this year and parenthood, for those of you who haven't experienced this particular adventure, just flips a switch. Suddenly you see things in the world you never saw. There are few people who know you as well as your parents do. They know how you like your food, how you like your bed made, and the exact precise way to get you out of the bed in the morning, even when you're just sitting there mumbling, 10 more minutes, mom. This is a love that gets overlooked when we're little, but it means the most when we get older. Me, for example, I don't crave beans ever. I crave the specific way my mom makes beans. She mashes them just the right way, then cumin, paprika, but like the right amount of paprika, and then adds feta cheese at the right moment, so the cheese melts a little, then tops it off with olive oil. Right? I got, got a little carried away. But there's no word to describe how I feel when she puts the plate down in front of me. Honestly, it just, it just feels like home. We met Stephanie and Gary on their way to Vancouver. And listen, these two know exactly what I'm talking about. Can you describe your favorite meal that your mom makes for you? Yeah. Mm. This is terrible, but I, I, she, she's the only one that really makes craft dinner exactly how I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's runny, it's runny, and it's bright yellow, and, and yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. And craft dinner really doesn't have a smell, but it kind of does. Mm. You know, it smells orange. <laughs> <laughs> it's about being the smell of an orange. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's odd. Yeah, actually um, the person that does most of the cooking for me are my grandparents. As I mentioned, they live with us. So um, I think the, the thing I think about, like the meal I think about the most would be um, my breakfast actually. So my grandma wakes up really early. Um, she usually do, does some gardening and then she would make me breakfast. Um, the things that I remember very clearly is sometimes, um, you know, I eat breakfast at home on a Monday morning and then I commute to school and then I, you know, stay in my residence and she would wake up at you know, 5, 6 a.m. just to cook me noodles. And, you know, you might wonder so, noodles for, for breakfast. Oh, no, that's but, great. But um, I love it. It's um, very simple. It's um, sometimes she, you know, buys noodles. Sometimes she makes them by, like, with dough and cuts them and stretches them. And then she puts them in a 
kind of like a soy sauce based broth. Um, I don't like having any meat in it, so it's just eggs and lots of um, green onions and yeah, she makes it just the way I like it. And sometimes even when I get sick of it, I, I still eat it because, you know, I, I appreciate the work that she's put in. And, um, you know, for, for anyone to get up at 5 a.m. for me, that's, I feel like that's really meaningful. That never occurred to me as a child. It never occurred to me that my parents were waking up at an ungodly hour for me. When you're little, you think, that's just what grown-ups do, not... Oh, the only reason they're up is because I'm a lazy kid who takes seven tries to wake and get going in the morning. I, I've always, I always wished my, grand, when my grandparents lived with us. My mom grew up where her grandmother lived with them, and that didn't happen for us. So my grandma would come and visit, and she'd cook for a couple of weeks, and then she'd go home. And, you know, and she was just so amazing at it. And, and so I'm, I'm actually kind of jealous that you have your grandparents living with you because I think that would just be lovely, that multi-generational experience, you know. Because, you know, I, when I would come on the train to visit my grandmother in Winnipeg, um, uh, you know, she was someone that I could talk to, you know, and, and she wasn't my mom and, you know, and she was my dad's mom. And then... And, and there were things that I would just ask her about and she would tell stories and, you know, and those, those conversations were different than the kind of conversations I would have had with my own parents. Right. And I think that, you know, that was something that I would have liked to have had 365 days of the year instead of just a week at Easter and, you know, and, and from time to time in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel very fortunate that, you know, I do have them by my side and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great because sometimes if you don't you know, want to say something to your parents directly, you can kind of bypass that by discussing with your grandparents first and you can have, them, it off e- them. Yeah, have yeah. them ease into the conversation yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah, as my parents get older, I've often, I've talked with both mom and dad and, you know, because it, it seems as though it's become normal when their parents can't live on their own, that, that you put them in a home, and I, and I, and I, I just don't want that for either of my mom and dad. You know, whoever survives, who I, you know, if if they if they want to come and live with me, then that would, I, I move out of the house I'm in and find a place that works for them and or one of them and 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 play that out because I think that would be, I think that's part of my responsibility as a son is to make sure that they're as independent for as long as they can be. Like like my mom's grandmother lived with them, I believe, right up until she passed away. And you know, and my mom's family is British and, and so that multi generational family home was normal. But at some point as things modernized, I guess, um, you know, that that was not that was not done. So when my mom's mom got sick she went into a personal care home and she was well looked after um, but um, you know it, it wasn't home for her and, 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 and what have you but I, I and not to take away any of the beautiful work that people do in personal care homes because they work hard they treat you know they, they work with some very difficult scenarios and situations but if I can if I can provide a safe and comfortable place for my parents, I think that's, that's, I owe that to them. You know, and, and there's a part of me that, you know, I was adopted 
by them. Um, and, you know, and they gave me a life that, I, that has been simply amazing. The least that I could do is, is try and extend the wonderful life they have together as long as, as, they, as they can, right? And so I think that's just part of what I think is a responsibility. I mean, I like the train because of my dad. I like, you know, I, I like, I have that sense of adventure from my mom and, you know, and these sorts of things that, these are, these are huge themes in my life. And being adopted, you know, I, I as a kid uh, growing up, I'd say, well, where did I come, you know, and, and I didn't, you know, until later on in life, I didn't meet my birth parents, but, um, you know, I was always said, well, you were chosen. We, we wanted you and, 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 we waited, and, and it's just there's a sense of, of um, a profound sense of love, and my friends, of course, that weren't adopted, they are loved too. There's no question, um, but it's just there's something about two people that love each other so much that they want children, and they adopt someone else's and give them everything they had to give. It's, it was it's amazing. And my sister's also adopted, so we. We both lived a similar experience. Different, we're from different families, but um, we are a family. Wow, yeah. that's, that's a beautiful thought and a beautiful thing. Oh, thank that, you. Yeah. I just love the idea of having, you know, you having your grandparents right there. I think that's, you know, and that and that sense of that your grandmother will get up at five in the morning and, you know, she just that's just that's that's love, yeah, right? For sure. It's really powerful to hear Gary talk about the bond he feels with his adoptive parents. Think about your childhood. Maybe how different it would have been if you hadn't experienced that unconditional love and support, or if you had. What's really striking about this conversation is how you can hear in Gary's voice how much he wants to give that love back. When you become a parent, you become so many things. You're a caregiver, a support system, you're a personal towel, a sounding board, a nurse, a full-body jungle gym, so many things. All of a sudden, there's this little person looking up to you for everything. I think one of the hardest parts about parenting is a realization that kids are always going to learn from you, the lessons you want to teach them, and some you don't. They're bound to be challenges even with the best intentions. Newlyweds Allison and Morgan talk about the impact that a parent's words can have and the impact they had on Allison. On this trip, we've had any number of conversations about things that have been varied, but something that we're, we've been thinking a lot about is the, the power of what you tell yourself about yourself and how that can affect the person you are in day-to-day -day life and your behavior and your attitude and, and in that way, your entire life. Yeah, I was chatting with my mom the other day or I was with my mom the other day, and she was making comments on, oh, I'm not very strong, or oh, I'm overweight, or oh, no one could possibly want to do this with me because I would bring them down, or I'm not at the, the place in order to be able to contribute positively to, to someone else's life, to someone else's experience. And it really made me think and reflect on where I have been and where I've come from and the struggles that I've had with my own self-perception and self-esteem and how 
I really think that the environment in which you grow up can play a significant role in how you feel about yourself and your personal level of confidence. And hearing my mom say, say those things and bring her down, I had an immediate gut reaction that, oh, me too, oh, I'm not good enough, or oh, if my mom doesn't think she's good enough, then how could I possibly be good enough? And channeling all of those kind of negative self-talk mantras really resonated with me and really impacted with me. Well, and what's interesting about your mom is she obviously doesn't want you to feel that way. Actually, she wants you to feel the exact opposite of that, but unconsciously has directed you in that way through your life. Yeah, and growing up, she was constantly in search of validation and to be thinner and to try to realize the ideal of the slim, beautiful physique of a woman which bombards us in media. And I can only now, looking back, see how that, growing up with that, in that environment and that experiencing those things, how that kind of negatively impacted me and going through an eating disorder and constantly telling myself that I'm not good enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not strong enough, I can't contribute is just makes you understand yourself a little bit better when you take the time to reflect and can step outside of that moment and put things into perspective and realize who you are now is definitely impacted by the people in your life. Like the situation with your mom, your intentions only go so far. You know, it's the actual action that you take in those moments that add up over time. No, you're absolutely right. And that's and that's harder. It's easier said than done, but I think really gratifying. Because even now, when I give you a compliment, and I see that reaction is quicker now than it used to be. You go, you know, the this, the pause, the the look, the and then this, brow. and then the smile <laughs> instead of ah, 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 get out of here, whatever. That can't possibly be true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it's if you believe it, or you accept it enough, or take steps towards believing it and living it. And yeah, and and it's interesting because I'm just thinking about this sort of out loud now. But when your mom, for example, or my mom even says, "Hey, way to go! You're so good at that," or "Keep it up! That's such good work," you want to believe them. You want them to be telling you truly that what they feel and what they think is right. So then when they, then in the next sentence, literally the next sentence, they're putting themselves down. It's hard, you know, how do you square those two things away at the same time? Like, you know. Because how can you possibly say good things about me when you're negatively or how can, about yourself? Or how can I believe, you know, you expect me to believe that you, that I am strong or smart or beautiful or whatever. But then the next minute, you're saying that you're not strong, that you're not beautiful, that you're not good enough. So 
Are you just immediately lying one way or another? Like, what's true? Are they both true? And just that, you know, so I have to, if I believe you for your, at your word, then you actually believe that you're, you know, not good enough or whatever it might be. And I don't want that. No, I don't want so it's, it's not just, good mojo. No, no. And then it's, there's enough negativity in the world, you know, there's enough heartbreak. You don't need to hear that from your parents. And the other thing, and that just goes without saying, and you and I have talked about this a lot too, but putting each other down is a complete no go. No go. And no. we're we're not we we are we good at that. We do not do that at all. But I think that there's a lot to be said for giving that offering that same respect to ourselves. One of the most surprising things that changed when I became a parent was the overwhelming feeling that I can't die. When my daughter was born, I felt the sudden need to live forever, be around to keep her safe and to share all my wisdom, however much there is, and advice about anything. I also became conscious of what Morgan calls the way you talk to yourself about yourself. So suddenly, I'm not good at math is not an okay sentence to say out loud. Maybe your child will pick up on the finality of it. Now that you're a parent, you're also a mirror of sorts. What children see, they can so easily become. There's that one huge question I think every parent-to-be faces. Am I ready for this? And what happens when that script is flipped? You feel like you're still a kid, then you're suddenly faced with parenthood yourself. That was the case for Talia and Lance, a couple whose unexpected pregnancy inspired them to reassess the way they lived their lives. Before I had Keystone, I, you know, I was like a little troubled kid, I guess. <laughs> Always gaming, drinking, and out of trouble. And then when I had him, everything just changed. I guess smartened up a little bit. I believe in second chances because many people gave me many second chances. And I probably have like 10 chances. Yeah, pretty much same here. Um, I guess the second chance he gave me was when you thought I cheated on you and I didn't and you tried leaving and I cried to you and cried <laughs> and you came home after that and you stayed home yeah the reason I gave you a second chance because I love you and we have a family remember when I was in labor with baby and um I just made you stand with me. All night, yeah. All night. <laughs> All day. <laughs> I wasn't ready. But both of us weren't. <laughs> well, yeah, we both weren't ready. I was shocked, scared, somewhat happy at the same time. Scared to what your family would say? Yeah, I was scared of what my mom and my dad were going to say. I didn't want them to be disappointed in me because, you know, they wanted me to graduate. They wanted me to have a good job and all that before I had kids. So I was scared, but I was happy. What was going through your mind when I went downstairs for my cesarean? You weren't down there that long. You're only down there for half an hour. 
half an hour, you know, it felt like two. I just wanted to come back up and see Baby right away. Because all I got to see was just like a little glimpse of him when I kissed him. Mm-hmm. And that was it. My I grandma cry. was just crying. I cried like a little baby. What's the most important thing you learned since he's been born? Um, that these little creations are a gift. <laughs> yeah. We thought we couldn't take care of him and I think we're doing pretty good right now. <laughs> so this conversation reminded me of the biggest lesson I learned. There is no such thing as ready to be a parent. We have these notions of readiness. For the most part, they're fiction, total fiction. There is no amount of preparation that will keep those first days from feeling like you're in the middle of a hurricane. Everything is different. The most you can do is be ready for the love and for the chaos and know that there will be difficult and lovely times and just let the journey unfold. I learned this the hard way and I think that's the only way to learn it. Being a parent is incredibly hard and incredibly demanding, both on your time and on your life. I'm learning that no two days are the same and that parenthood is this constant learning experience. And you know what? It's okay to not learn some lessons the first time. You'll get the hang of it. I did. So give yourself a break. You're doing great. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our founders, the Macmillan Family Foundation, Inspirit Foundation, and the National Film Board of Canada. Our conversations are recorded in partnership with Via Rail Canada. Many thanks to Ryerson University, Carleton University, MyTax, and IMAX Corporation for their support. And thank you for listening. Next time on C4C Conversations, we take on stories about the awkward, the uncomfortable, and the most memorable in an episode all about growing pains. Here's a quick preview feel good about the future, except I don't feel good about um, the future for our children and their prospects compared to me, compared to what we've experienced. I just, uh, I'm appalled at the way things have turned out in the past few years. And when I look to the future, I'm really uncomfortable, uncomfortable. I don't know, like, I just thought my life would be like very different than what it is. Yeah. But I'm really happy with like where I'm at in the yeah. sense of, I guess I thought before that, I don't know, like, my parents have been like together and engaged since my mom was in high school. Yeah. And like all of my cousins, like whoever they bring to grad is like who they end up marrying. And they're all like buying houses and they're like in their tw- like early 20s. And I thought that that's like how it should be. But then, like, I guess I, like, changed my mind and I'm doing, like, my own thing, but I couldn't really be happier. That's next time on C4C Conversations.